Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. Today my guest is Chad Cannon. I've been a fan of Chad's work for a few years now. He's done a lot of really cool documentary scores in particular, a, a field that I think is very underrated. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of good doc scores coming out in the last few years. Chad and I talk about this, and I think for documentaries broadly haven't gotten quite the attention that music for other media receives. Chad's most recent documentary is a documentary series on Hulu, and the final episode of it actually aired, I think maybe a week and a half, two and a half weeks ago. It was actually the day that Chad and I did our interview, and it's called Algiers America, following a high school football team in the neighborhood of Algiers in New Orleans. It's like a really good series, even if you don't like American football. And it's an interesting score in that it primarily features Chad's modern classical work mixed with some stylings of New Orleans-centric music. Now, unfortunately, I don't know, and at least as of recording, it was unclear, whether there would be a score release. Still up in the air, unfortunately, but fingers crossed. Of course, you can find out more about Chad on his website or social media. You can do the same for me. And I know that this interview comes a little faster than normal, and I think the one next week will as well. I'm on a a bit of a blitz right now. I, as happens, overbooked myself a little bit. Then things will normalize a bit, and then... Gosh, the season will be over, I think. After today, looking at only five more episodes? If that, the end comes quick. But we're not there yet. And until then, sit back and enjoy. Chad, I'm, uh, I'm so glad you could be here today. How have you been? Thanks, Nick. Yeah, I've been good. Nice spring day here in Pasadena. <laughs> yeah, I can I can see the sunlight creeping through the, uh, the back blinds there. That's right. I have a couple windows in my studio. I like to have a little natural light in my life <laughs> yeah well you can see i'm the exact opposite I'm, I'm in a little dungeon are you under a stairwell no i i genuinely don't know why this room exists so your your most recent project was algiers american actually as of our recording the final episode i think released sometime today i don't know if it uh, dropped at you know 1201 a.m or sometime later this afternoon i think it was at midnight probably i haven't watched it yet but i know it's out there Oh, so have you not even seen like the finalized version up of it? I've watched episode four, but I I haven't seen I haven't experienced the mixed version of episode five yet. Well, that's not true. I did I did do like a small review, but I I haven't sat down and like enjoyed it yet. So with that sort of thing, then is it ever a a surprise to you seeing like the finished version being you know broadcast over the airwaves or the internet or is it typically always just as you expected i mean thankfully the sound team on this at dungeon beach they're the guys who who did the mix on this had sent out links so as i said i i had a chance to like hear it and say oh yeah this needs to be changed or whatever but but yeah i think always i'm surprised when i sit down and let it play start to finish especially in the context of all the episodes just because it's it's nice to see especially the scenes that i wasn't scoring you know how those are fitting mm-hmm. in exactly and and how it all plays and of course there's been edits made since i last touched it so yeah it's just it's nice to 
to sit back and let it play. You mentioned the the scenes that you don't score, and and on this documentary series, there's a fair amount of license tracks as well. So I, I think that opens the door to your approach to scoring and how you pick out the palette, because I think especially on that latter point, there's a few ways you could go. I mean, with the license tracks, with it being set in New Orleans that has this phenomenal music history and culture, there's just so much to choose from. So when you first got going, I mean, how did you narrow down this huge amount to pick from and huge amount of influences and actually get going? Yeah, I mean, you were asking exactly the kind of questions I was asking when I was first approached about this. Like, I am not from New Orleans, although weirdly, my ancestors actually immigrated to the U.S. through New Orleans. So I, <laughs> I do have like a a family history connection to that to that city. But um, I thankfully had help from the music team on this. There was um, the editor, especially Joe Langford, and one of the other cameramen and also producers on the show is named D- Dorado Brooks. Both of those two had very strong opinions about what should be happening musically. Mm-hmm. And Dorado's a guy who's spent a lot of his life in New Orleans, so he knows a ton of local musicians and a lot of the license tracks you hear in the show are actually people that he knows. <laughs> and the the title sequence is a song written specifically for the show by a guy named Kenneth Brother. And he's a rapper slash, you know, hip hop artist that's based in New Orleans. And he knows, you know, the community really well. So his lyrics and stuff just really are mm. spot on for what Algiers is as a community. And then I think they chose a lot of license tracks that are sort of a little bit older. There's some older stuff in there. But I think they got a nice mix of different New Orleans vibes that exist. <laughs> but as far as my music and how I was bringing that New Orleans history into the score, first I used Dorado to connect me with some local people. So there's this guy named Shaquille. He spells it S-H-V-K-I-E-L. And he's actually an assistant coach on the Edna Carr football team, which is, you know, the football team that the show is about. And I was kind of intrigued when I first heard about him and um, then he sent me a track of his voice and I was just blown away he's like sounds like Kanye he's like got a gorgeous R&B very soulful voice and I knew right away okay we got to get a song or two for this guy to like shine so in episode five there's two tracks that he's on one is a funeral scene for a kid named Kieran Ross who who got shot and died and they filmed his funeral and all the football players are at his funeral and Shaquille's voice in that scene is just just incredible. And then at the very end of the show, there is a scene where one of the top players goes to off to college and he says goodbye to the main coach that he's been working with for the last four years. And and Shaq did this really cool acapella. I mean, he and I did it together, but it's his voice. And I'm excited for people to hear that. But yeah, there were a couple other artists. There's this guy named Prosper Jones, who's a beat producer, electronic artist, does rap stuff as well. And he probably has the most like collaborative tracks that ended up pretty much all five episodes. Maybe there's one without his stuff, but he's in a lot of episodes. So it's really fun to work with him. And his brother went to this high school and he's also <laughs> from New Orleans. So a lot of local connections that we brought in. Yeah, I, I like that having people not simply from New Orleans, but like from the neighborhood, from the school. Exactly. Someone like literally involved in the team as well. I mean, you couldn't get more local and community driven than that. Totally. And I think um, 
New Orleans is the kind of place where like music is in everyone's blood and it's like it's just a part of their lives. And the fact that they know people in the show just like brought a whole different level of emotional outpouring in the stuff that they were giving me and that I was working with into the show, you know. And so coming in and I I saw you had an Instagram post five weeks ago or something about the show first releasing. And I, I think you had mentioned in it that you were an outsider coming in. Obviously, like having all of those folks locally helped bridge that gap, I think. But when you were first brought in for the project, first in discussions for it, was was there ever like a a concern on your part that like <laughs> I mean, you know, yes. here you are coming in from the outside? I'm a white guy from Utah who does classical music, <laughs> scoring a show about Algiers and all these kids. All they listen, like pretty much all they listen to, from what I could tell at the like football tailgating party and stuff was like, it's all hip hop. And I went to New Orleans to orient myself and to, to meet some people from the team. And I went to the football season opening game and just like mm. watched and it's called the Battle of Algiers. It was Edna Carr versus their main rival. And like everybody tailgates for hours before and then they party after. <laughs> and it's like, I've never experienced high school football in that way where it's like so, such a big yeah. Like it felt like a college, you know, championship football, like big game. Like, and yeah, it's just the local rivalry, you know, but um, me going to that stadium helped me really feel like, yes, I'm definitely an outsider. And that was important for me to feel hmm. and not just theoretically, but like I actually felt awkward in there, you know, like, and I think that was healthy for me to feel that and then to like approach it because I hadn't written anything yet at that point. You know, and I also visited the Jazz Museum and, and some other music sites in New Orleans. But for me to feel that helped me, like, approach the subject with a lot more humility, I guess, about, like, yeah, I don't know shit about this place. I need to study. <laughs> I, need to, I need to learn more. And I definitely need to rely on these local artists to bring more of that lens to it. But on some level, I think the reason they were hiring me is because I'm not necessarily the the obvious choice for a show like this. Being a specialist in especially string music and classical music, I think from my voice, they were looking to bring something unusual and different mm. football show. Because in the end, this show really isn't about football. And they say that a lot in the series. Like the kids say it, the coaches say it. It's not about football. It's about saving these kids from violence and from going left, as they say, which means, you know, choosing yeah. choosing a violent path or something that could end up killing you, which happens to some of the kids in the show. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums up how I was feeling when I was first asked about the show. And I, I do think from like a, a musical perspective, it, it does also avoid it simply being the musical stylings, like solely of what you'd expect and what would be obvious. It is an interesting point going kind of beyond the music for a second of the show in several ways not simply being about football or not being about it at all. My wife's actually a, a high school teacher in the south side of Chicago at a not great school or area, and she's from England. She hates American football, and <laughs> yet, like, watching it, I'm like, these are the exact type of things that so many of her students face that she would really understand as well. Yeah. And it, it doesn't matter that it's a football focus. And I do think that that aspect comes into the music as well. Basically, the very first cue of the series starts off as is sort of a, a somber drama. You're seeing the, the struggle that's going on, and then it slowly builds into a, a feeling of more triumph. And that really set the tone, I thought, for for the series, for the music, that 
all of it is is these two sides and there were um two students that are mentioned one of them is has been killed prior to the show and one of his friends and the the coach and the parents are talking about that one student had gone left as you say and they're trying to keep the other one from doing that too and you just see that throughout and and so i was wondering if that was really one of the things on your mind as you're approaching the music in the series absolutely and i think one thing i learned when i was talking to one of our other producers darcy who's a also a southerner and she's been she knows a ton of people in new orleans and she told me she first met jackson the producer when they were shooting once and she was like super suspicious because jackson's white and he's in a very black community and she was very wary of like this exploitation mm. someone who's on the outside both racially and otherwise although jackson now lives in new orleans but this idea that you might be exploiting these kids so she went up to him and like confronted him in their first meeting and pretty quickly she realized wow jackson's doing an amazing job of like really bringing on onboarding all the local stakeholders who need to be involved in the telling of their own story, right? Mm -hmm. And I think filmmakers who are good at doing that are the ones who are like, they kind of have like the, this might sound pretentious or something, but they kind of have like the ethical high ground because they've done the work it requires to involve local people whose stories are being told. You know, it's like the classic thing where you get like a big outside, a big national newspaper comes in and tells a local story and they totally get it wrong or like leave out really important nuances about the yeah. story. And and like it's great in a series like this where you have enough time in the show to like let it tell its own story, if that makes sense, and not leave out the key details that, that are important to understanding and empathizing with what these kids are going through. So I'm just really proud of the filmmaker team for having done that. And when I went to New Orleans myself, I was, you know, awkwardly sitting there watching the football game. But I was noticing that, like, the filmmakers, the guys with the cameras know everybody's names and they've mm. been there for, you know, two years or something. And you can just tell there's a lot of respect for them. And I'm sure that wasn't easy to gain. Like, I don't know all the details of their filmmaking experience, but I, I can imagine there were some difficult things in there as well. Yeah, you can imagine that. And and I, and look, on, the, on that same point, I think that's going back again having the community involved musically as well does the same sort of thing. Because I, I think it's also very easy to have gone the complete opposite and just done your style and what you want to do and erased that musical identity. And you end up having the, that same sort of issue. Totally. And I want to just make it clear that, you know, the the collaborators there, are there's four of them that came on, plus this New Orleans choir they brought amazing stuff, but the majority of the music in the series is just my yeah. composition. So I don't want to overstate how much of that I was able to do because it was quite difficult because these are four people that don't really know each other that well. I guess two of them knew each other, but like they don't know me. I had to build trust too before they were starting to like get that, yeah, this is an artistically rewarding experience. And I worked hard to try to provide that for them so they felt like, I don't know, I don't want to speak for them, but from my impression, they seem to have a good experience and they all posted about it. So that in indicates at least that they were proud to be part of it, you know? Yeah. And, and so as, as far as the actual composition process goes, I mean, what was your approach in scoring? And I, I know that this, the series is, it's five episodes, about five hours or so. And I think at least from 
the tracks that I have, there's like three hours of music. So yeah, huge undertaking both to picture and also just the amount of music. So what was that process from your side? Um, well, as I mentioned, first thing was to go there, meet people, start stewing on New Orleans music history. I don't think I ever referenced anything directly, but like I was listening to a lot of music from New Orleans, including by modern artists like Terrence Blanchard and John Batista and a lot of other people, you know. But as far as like the actual execution of how we were composed, how I was composing and how I was working with the other artists, just like a lot of shows, I was starting to get rough cuts. The editor, Joe Langford, there were multiple editors, but Joe and I were the ones working closest together because he cared so much about the music and the team sort of designated him as like the gatekeeper for me, which actually mm. ended up being really nice because sometimes when there's multiple editors, people have different work styles and opinions. So that can get a little a little more complicated. But Joe would start sending me scenes that are like pretty close to how like everybody's happy with how that scene is playing. And then I would start writing ideas and just I'm sure this is a common experience for many composers, but sometimes I'll write a, a theme that I thought was perfect for this person. And then the film team shoots it down. But then three episodes later, we realize it's perfect for this one. You know, <laughs> like trying to make sure everything I write finds a home. There's definitely material that got tossed completely. But I think in a show with three hours of original music, in order to stay sane, like trying to make sure that everything I'm writing is actually finding a, a home and maximizing efficiency in that way. And it's not really about efficiency. I'm just saying for managing that much material, I found that it, it was useful to try to reapply bits of score, you know, in later episodes. And with that much material, and I, I don't know if, if you're planning on having a score release for it, but there's now a trend, at least for fiction TV shows, of having score releases for individual episodes or batches of episodes and, and so I don't know if that's something if it's in the works and if so how you approach distilling three hours of music into uh, a more manageable release yeah on this project we had talked with the producers about doing a soundtrack release and I think that still might be a, an option but ESPN is involved and they're notoriously like oh. they tend to be a little more tricky as far as you know, because they don't pay royalties on their main broadcasts and so forth. This is on Hulu, so it's a little different, but still because ESPN through Anscape, who's the company that their name's on the on the show. I don't know that we'll do a soundtrack release for this, so I can't really speak to that. But I cert I don't think we would do like an episode by episode release. So I think we would want to just pick the highlights and, and leave it at that. But So I mean in, in, in that sort of situation, I know that obviously as as a composer when you're composing for a particular medium, having the music standing on its own is not the goal up front. Like that that's the exact opposite. But in the event of a, a project where the music only lives in the show or the film, you know, is is there a part of you inside that like still wishes it could be out there on its own as well existing? Yeah, depending on the project, like I'll approach it knowing that it'll be released or not. Hmm. For documentaries, it's always kind of 50-50 as to whether whether it's like worth doing the work required to do a release because, you know, doc scores are less likely to get a lot of streams just by nature of being a doc. But certainly for films, when I'm like fiction films and other animated projects, like I'm on an animation right now that I know will be released. So I like prepping that music hmm. that in mind. And like, 
there's enough budget there where we're going to be able to produce a big orchestral score that's going to sound good on its own. With Algiers, we, I actually did record almost everything. Like all the orchestra cues are live orchestra or hybrid. Um, I had a brass section here and a string section here. And then I played a lot of stuff on it. Actually, almost no woodwinds on the Algiers score. I think just the palette was already sort of saturated with all the hip-hop stuff additionally and vocal stuff. So mm -hmm. in order to simplify, I just kept it strings and brass. And then, of course, a ton of percussion during all the football. So I'm I'm saying the quality is there. Like, we could do a nice release, but it, I don't know yet if, if they'll allow it or, well, you know, that's still sort of up, up in the air. Mm, okay. And you, you had mentioned in there as well about documentary score releases tending to get fewer streams, I'm, I'm sure unless it's like a Hans Zimmer nature documentary score, for instance. Yeah. It's something that I've, I've been thinking about is I think you've seen TV and video game scoring starting to get not just more popular. I think video game scores have always had a lot of popularity, but more sort of recognition and acceptance as far as like actually being, you know, good real pieces of music. But I think documentary scores are still kind of like in the dark a little bit and, it, and it, it goes to as you mentioned having fewer streams i mean do you think there's a reason why for that and whether that's changing a little bit i mean i think part of it is a budget thing because a lot of docs like you go watch the majority of tv docs especially like most of what you're hearing is like stock music or mm. licensed tracks that aren't super um i don't know that are they're definitely not owned by the film itself the docs that I've scored, I've been lucky because a lot of the docs I've scored are very, even if they're not like huge budgets, they're like really well done. For example, this year I scored a film with Leona Lewis called Hidden Letters, and it was shortlisted for the Oscars. It premiered at Tribeca. It's a great film. And there's only about 25 minutes of score in, in this movie, even though the film's about, I think it's like 90 minutes. So very spare. Hmm. And we may still release that soundtrack, but um, I think... A lot of doc scores, often it's just the budget question as far as like how much can be produced and what at what level. I think Dan Deacon has done some really cool doc scores. Yeah, there's composers out there that are doing really cool doc stuff. The thing I've been trying to bring to docs is like raising the bar as far as what kinds of chamber music and orchestra music you're hearing in a doc and trying to deepen the, the level of nuance that a score can bring. To a doc, I mean, not that I'm the only one who can do that, but I've like, right. that's something I've been sort of specializing in docs for the last few years. And it's possible to raise the bar and, and do amazing music in a doc. So, and that, yeah, it also depends on just the quality of the doc itself, whether it's well written, well edited, and well shot. And I have another doc I scored recently called Exposing My Bridge. Mm -hmm. It's a film that's like, I love it. I think it's super interesting, but it's also about a 19th century photographer. So already it's like super neat. <laughs> Not a lot of people are going to see it. I, the film is shown at many, many festivals in Europe and across the US and I think in Canada. I, I don't know. It's been showing a lot of places and it has Gary Oldman in it. He's a Mybridge specialist. And so he's like one of the main talking heads in the film and he makes it really fun and interesting and that score i'm really proud of that score because we worked on it for like a year together with the director and it's a full it's like 70 or 80 minutes of music full orchestra score we recorded it all here in la and you know a lot of rich thematic material that gets developed over the film so it was really like a fiction film in terms of the the effort required from me <laughs> 
and we did release that score. So you can hear that one out in the world. But it's it's one of these things where it's like, yeah, I put a ton of work in and I'm proud of it. I hope it gets seen and heard by people, but who knows if it's going to ever, you know, have a moment. I mean, I think so much of that is just sort of misconceptions about documentaries as well. Because I think so many people think of them as just 90 minutes of talking head interviews and that's that. And like some of them are still, but they're increasingly complex and sophisticated and in the music can be the exact same as well. There are you know themes and motifs in Algiers America, but like talking about having developing themes in exposing my bridge as well. Like I, I just don't think people associate that with the documentary score. Only yeah. Yeah, you as a composer you're sort of like it would be easier easy to like phone it in or something and get away with the less I don't know. It just depends on the director and, and the editor. They're often the ones who are kind of coaching me to get to the place of sophistication that matches the level of depth of their own edit and their own writing in the show. So I, I rely a lot on them to, to help bring the music to that same level. I love that. And that's, I think, one of the beauties of scoring for these types of media is how collaborative it is and how it pushes everyone to a higher bar. And and I know we're, we're running out of time. And you know one, one question that I do want to ask on, on that collaborative theme is I, I did notice that you had done arranging for uh, Joe Hisaishi. Huge, huge name. And so I, I wanted to ask really quick just what that experience was like for you. Yeah, and I'm, I'm still working with him. This animation mm. I'm scoring right now it's an adaptation of Chibi Mariko, which is a, ja- a long-running Japanese TV show cartoon that's now being adapted for a Mandarin-language 3D feature film hmm. for the Chinese market. And Hisaishi's written the main theme, and I'm scoring the rest of the show. We're just coming up on the end now. I've been on this film for almost two years now, so wow. excited to... This is one I've put a lot of effort in, so I'm excited for people to, to hear it and to hear Hisaishi's theme, of course, but... Um, working for Hisaishi has been really, as an artist, like truly life-changing because he is an amazing musical mind. And it's not just because he's worked on famous Japanese films. It's like he's really done the work to understand music. And like when he sends me a sketch, for example, it's often his own handwriting. It's so detailed and so well done already that I pretty much just have to get it right how he had it. But <laughs> But there are times when he's like, hey, I want you to fill out this more and do more than I had done. And like, so he mm-hmm. does, he has given me opportunities to like really exercise my arranging muscles. And that's been really awesome. And of course, all the Miyazaki films are just gorgeous. And those themes are now running in my head all the time because <laughs> so much time arranging for him. The main, I've done four symphonic suites of different films of his that he's performed with the new Japan Philharmonic throughout Japan and also mm-hmm. in other cities in Asia. And then also I I was the main arranger for the world tour that he's doing all the time with the Miyazaki film. So that show is called Joe Hisaishi Symphonic Concert, music from the Studio Ghibli films of Hayao Miyazaki. It's like the longest title ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's the official name of the show. And it, it premiered in Paris in 2017 and now it's been touring all over. I think they're playing Wolf Trap in Virginia this summer. And he's actually going to have his Hollywood Bowl debut this summer in August. So I'm excited to be there when he when he has his Hollywood Bowl moment. Yeah. So working with him's just been just been awesome and very um, made me realize I have a lot of work to do to like get to that level. Like it inspired me to work harder 
to understand orchestration better to just when I'm writing themes and melodies to like do it in a more deliberate, more structured way. And mm. I don't know, I just feel like he helped me raise my own bar in terms of what I want to achieve and what I what I hope to be as a, as a musician. The thing he does that I don't think I'll ever be doing is conducting. I'm I'm just like, I'm not a great stage presence, I don't think, unless I'm hiding behind a violin. I'm very confident behind a violin, but like with my hands waving, I feel my ears are stronger than my conducting skills. So I like to okay. be, I like to be in the booth, and listen and like really look, listen for the problems, you know. Well, I, I mean, I, I love that. I, I think that sort of experience could be daunting around somebody like that. So it's it's great. It's exciting that it's brought more out of you as well. Yeah, I, I hope so. And I, I've just been been fortunate to have that relationship and to to learn from it. And I'm happy to see that in the last five or six years, even in the time since I've gotten to know him, it seems like his conducting career and his notability abroad, like outside of Japan and outside of Asia, has gone up a lot. And I think that's been very intentional. He's been doing concerts with Philip Glass and uh, Nico Muli and other contemporary composers who have big followings in the U.S. and, and Europe. And Hisaishi, I think he's been very strategic about building his own brand abroad so that he's he's no longer just the, the Miyazaki composer. He wants to be more than that. And his concert pieces are awesome. If you ever have a chance to listen to some of his like modern classical music, there's some really cool pieces. I actually, I didn't even know that he had any, so I'll, I'll check those yeah, out. Yeah, and everybody here, if they know him, <laughs> they know him because of Miyazaki. Yeah, but actually, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he has a lot of really cool other pieces, so. All right, awesome. Well, I'll check that out, and hopefully some of the other people listening in will, uh, will too as well. But uh, Chad, you know, hate hate to wrap it so quick, but I really appreciate you talking with me today. I'm looking forward to finally catching the end of the series as well. It's I don't want to say surprisingly in a negative way, but like I have been surprisingly like engrossed and engaged by it. Well, my wife who is not a football or sports person at all. Like has cried in every episode. <laughs> it is a very like. I was surprised when I sat down and watched at least episodes one through four how how much it really isn't about football, like, but it really is a it's an emotional journey and very very focused on the experiences of the kid. So I'm proud to be part of it because of that. But yeah, thanks, Nick. So nice to meet you. I look forward to listening to more film score episodes too. Hey, I I appreciate that. <laughs>